Before I get into this rumination, I kind of want to level with you guys. I want to be as overt and honest as I possibly can with you. When this game out came, <laughs> when this game came out, I hated it. No, not just disliked. It wasn't a coffee thing. I despised it. Now, I, just, I paused there for a minute to see if that was going to change anyone's opinion or make anyone stop the video. Uh, part of the reason for that, most of the reason for that, was because of the build-up. This is going to be this amazing game with all these incredible features. You'll, you'll be able to have kids, and those kids will have kids, and your choices will affect every single point of the story. It'll be this massive branching story and consequences about everything. And, and you end up, of course, you know, you could plant a tree and watch it grow, you know, all that little stuff. But the thing that really resonated with me the most is it was being touted as a Morrowind killer. When this game came out, I was still not doing super well. <laughs> uh, there, I was, this was right around the, you know, the accident, wheelchair, all that fun stuff. Um, and I was also kind of still recovering from the whole destitution, starvation, living on the streets part of my life, which was a couple years before. So I wasn't doing that hot. As a consequence, aside from hanging out with my friends, there were two things I did to uh, escape. And I'm just going to say that as bluntly as I can. One of them was to play MMOs. At the time, it was Asheron's Call predominantly. And the other was to play Morrowind. And what I loved most about Morrowind was it was a world I could lose myself in. Now, I've spoken about Morrowind since then and how my opinions have changed over the years, but at the time, the idea of a game that's even more Morrowind and is going to be even better, oh my god, this is going to be incredible. In other words, I build it. I, I bought into the hype. Not hoip, hype. And for those of you who've never heard me use that distinction, hype is externally generated marketing buzz, trying to force you to be excited for something, whereas hoip is internally generated if you are excited about something. Both can lead to disappointment. Both are not necessarily true, but I'd like to keep that very clear delineation between internal and external. So this was hype. I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. They're like, oh my god, it's going to be great. Nowadays, this is normal, because we all know how Molyneux is uh, Molyneux, and we all know how this kind of a thing tends to be a thing. This is also the last time hype really affected me, historically speaking. Not the first time, certainly not. But it was the last time I bought into the hype machine, external hype machine. Uh, there have been plenty of times since then where I've bought into hype and have been really excited about something and been disappointed about it. Hell, that happened relatively recently, earlier this year, with Mario Tennis Aces, which basically I saw no marketing material for whatsoever. I was just really excited for a cool tennis game with Mario characters and a cool campaign, and it was just like, oh, was my reaction to it. But, but this is the last time, and so it took me years to be willing to go back and try this game again. And when I finally did, I was like, uh, okay, fine, I'll finally play it again. Um, I can actually tell you the exact point I got to the first time around. Some merchants and some Balverines. That's how far I got the first time I played this game. Now, I, now this is before the PC release, obviously. I actually did not own an Xbox, but a friend of mine did. And I went over and I played it on his Xbox, or occasionally borrowed it to play it. And, yeah... <laughs> that's as far as I got, and that's what I, and the whole time I was just kind of like, really? Really? This feels like a, well, I didn't have a term for it at the time, but basically it felt like an indie game. 
it did not feel like what we now refer to as a AAA production or a well-polished, well-completed production. There's a lot of little, little nits and problems with it that I still notice to this day. With the advantage of historical hindsight, that makes sense, considering how long this game was vaporware before it was finally released, and how many problems it had actually getting released. Uh, I don't have 100% proof on this, but I suspect that one of the problems was that the developers in general, not just Molyneux, were interested in really pushing the envelope with this, and implemented several of those features, which I'll talk about in a minute here, and then just started running out of time, and running out of money, and running out of budget, and we're just, uh, 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 here's the game, here's the game, you know? That's the impression I got. I don't know if that's 100% true. But I finally, years later, went back and was like, okay, I'm going to play this. It was the PC version at that point in time, and I was like, huh, that wasn't a bad game. Now, so this time through, well, basically, you know, the time that I just played for today in order to get through this game uh, is basically the second time I've played this game, more like two and a half times I've played this game. And I kind of, my opinion on that hasn't really changed all that much. Uh, I've said this before, and my opinion on this has been reinforced. This is what I think of as the base-level Western RPG. Uh, baseline, right? If you just ask me for a textbook example of a WRPG, this is what I think of immediately. Now, that's not to say anything about its quality, just that all of the basic elements are there and are presented fairly competently. But nothing about Fable, well, only one thing about Fable really stuck out for me, really actually made itself exceptional to me. So, while I still enjoyed this game, I don't see myself ever playing it again. It's, it's practically the definition of a popcorn game, as I like to say. But, I do want to uh, mention a few other things in historical context here. First of all, this game has a karma system. Now, it wasn't exactly the first game with that. Uh, several, especially Western RPGs, were really experimenting with the karma system. I'm not even sure which one started it. I have to do some research on that, which I did not do for this one. I know this was not the first. But it was at a time when the whole karma system, good, bad, paragon, renegade, evil, good, you know, uh, system was really starting to get common and was really starting to get pushed. Nowadays, that system has kind of more looked at in a derogatory manner. People looking down upon it like, ah, everything's good or bad or whatever. I myself tend to prefer a system like Dragon Age Origins, for example, which doesn't have a karma system, just has you take actions which are good, bad, or somewhere in between. And people react appropriately, and I like that. It's especially apparent in a game like this. Again, I don't want to be insulting towards this game, because I, I can't say Fable's a bad game. I can't. I don't think it's a bad game. But I, I do think it's a good game. Merely a good game, as I like to say. And the Karma system is an excellent example of this. You can run around being horrifically evil, and people will kind of react to you about that, you know, with the little random snippets as you're wandering through or interacting with NPCs. But for the most part, you can still be this horrifically evil person and still take the good options at the end. Or be this incredibly saintly person with literal blinding white hair. Oh, and then take the evil option and put the mask on at the end, right? I mean, that's still something you could do. Now, I, I know the extra chapters added on to that and kept going with that. But you get my point. It felt like the karma system was more cosmetic than anything else. And that's one of my biggest complaints about it in this game. I also have to say that the story itself is really, really bland. Again, I can't call it bad, but it's basically... 
once upon a time, there were evil, and there was good, and then good fought evil the end. You know, it, it's, it's a very basic story. There's nothing wrong with that. That was actually brought up recently on my stream. I don't remember the game, please forgive me, but we were talking about how there's nothing necessarily wrong with the idea of a basic story, as long as it's well executed. And I agree with that. I enjoy Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, for God's sakes, and that has a ridiculously basic story. But I do have to admit, I will always prefer a complex story, not convoluted, but a complex story more than a simple one. And so I look at this game, and I just don't have that much to say about it. You'll notice we haven't even really started talking about the game yet. That's <laughs> because I'm still just building up to that, and frankly, because I don't have a lot to say about the game itself. I probably have more to say about the gameplay than the game, which, speaking of which, that's the next thing I want to talk about. The difficulty, or lack thereof. There's no difficulty settings in Fable, at least none that I was able to find, and I find that to be to its detriment. As I've said before, and, and has started becoming a regular thing in my reviews for the premiere runs and the in-depth uh, classics that I do, the idea is that a difficulty setting is a good thing that should be in the overwhelming majority of games. Because there's simply too many circumstances where someone wants something easier, wants something harder, or wants to customize their playing experience to them. Thus, why I usually give a plus for really well-done difficulty options, like in Celeste or in Dishonored 2, to name two examples right off the top of my head. This game's lack of difficulty definitely detracted from the game for me personally, because it's so easy. I, I, I mean, that's me saying this. When I first started playing this game, I was like, alright, I'm going to do my usual, I'm going to play without cheats for a while. You know, I do have a, a time budget, but I like to play at least some of a game without cheats, just to refresh myself on it. Fortunately, I've played Fable before. In fact, I, this is the first time I ever cheated at Fable. So, I have played through all of Fable, you know, Lost Chapters without cheating, and I've played about halfway through Fable without cheating back in the Xbox. But as I got to a certain point, I was like, is there even a reason to cheat? Is this even something I need to do? Now, I feel like this is part of a development problem. I don't think this was deliberately this easy. I think what happened is they, they started with a system idea in mind. We want the player to be able to do whatever build they want and still have it be viable. Now, that's good. That's a good idea, and that's a good standing point. So what they did, now this is pure conjecture. But what I feel like they did is they sat down and designed all the different methods of, you know, wills and uh, attacks and p stuff you could dump skill points into, etc. All the spells you could learn. And said, okay, here's a bunch of options for stuff, right? If you want to be someone who assassins behind someone and stabs them in the back, bam. If you want to be an archer boy, bam. If you want to be a melee, like just hiding behind a shield or, or zapping people while behind a shield, you can do that. And you can do all these things in the game. But the problem is they all feel equally overpowered because the game is so easy. I usually refer to this as an aspect of level design, but in this case, it feels like they had all these options and didn't have the time, the expertise, or the money to really sit down and polish those options so that there was a real difference in how they mattered for the gameplay. In other words, you can do anything because the game is incredibly easy. Now, it's worth noting... <laughs> that I would rather they do that than the alternative. Too many games uh, make things everything too hard. It's like, oh god, we need to make sure this game takes X amount of time, so let's quadruple the health on every mob in the entire game. And there have been games that have done that. So I prefer this method to that method, but it still did detract from it where it's just like mowing through everything effortlessly without cheats on. 
right? And without deliberately selecting an easy difficulty. Yeah. So like I said, pure pure theory crafting on that one. I'm not sure why that is. I'm not even sure if it was deliberate. Um, I will say one thing, though. I did end up cheating on this game, mostly to push my health up a little bit more. And I can tell you exactly why. I'm going to fail at the voice here. <clears throat> Your health is low. Yeah, you, you get it. <laughs> I also want to comment on a couple other points in the gameplay uh, really quick. And then I want to really talk about where I feel that this game uh, has issues when it comes to game design. The first thing I want to talk about is the trader mission. Now, I referenced that earlier. In my opinion, in all of the video games I've ever played in my life, and this is reinforced, having just gone back through this, this game has the worst escort quest in the entirety of gaming. Now, I've talked extensively about escort quests before, why they're disliked, why they have the stigma, how it's difficult to design them, what you can do to offset that, blah, 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 blah. But if you wanted to take a checklist and say everything wrong with escort quests, escorting the traders through the frickin' woods with the Balverines hits every single point of the wrong thing to do. The enemy, I actually was paying, uh, when I, I was streaming just before I sat down to play this game, and I mentioned that I was going to be playing Fable after it, and I mentioned the Trader's Quest, and one of my viewers was like, hey, did you know that, you know, they actually just target the merchants? And I'm like, oh my god, really? Because that's one, of, that's one of the things on the checklist. And sure enough, when I got there, they were just completely ignoring me, and it's like, really? Uh, this is... I, I kind of knew this was coming this time around, so I'd focused on, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, that spell. You know the one I'm talking about. And I just started spamming the crap out of that as I was moving through there. With the frying pan. No, I'm kidding. I didn't use the frying pan. <laughs> um, in order to make it through that stupid quest. But it, oh my god, it was so aggravating. And then there was the uh, the Bargate prison section. That one's a little more difficult to explain why I didn't care for that. But I think it boils down to the fact that it felt like someone... <sighs> the way the Bargate Prison section felt to me, uh, from a purely gameplay perspective, was that the GM was running out of ideas. It's like, okay, here, fight through this really long dungeon, relatively speaking, compared to most of the other dungeons in the game. Just fight, 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 fight. Here's your mother. Fight, 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 fight. And you're captured. Bam. It really did feel like the GM was just like, oh, crap, I'm not ready for this. Or like, to relate this to a more human thing, if you've ever actually uh, had a GM or been a GM, you know what it's like when you didn't really prep the previous week, right? Maybe you were working or you were playing something else or you were just really run down or maybe college was an issue. And you just, whatever for the reason, uh, you did not actually go through and decide on the content for the coming months, or the coming week, excuse me. So when you sat down with your friends, they were like, hey, and, um, uh, okay, there's, there's a dungeon. Uh, you gotta go through, uh, there's some enemies, and here's some enemies, and here's some enemies, and here's some enemies. Um, oh god, they're just re they're just going through this so quickly. Um, okay, now you gotta go back out. Uh, okay, okay. And, okay, dungeon ever. What? We're not out yet. Yes, but the big bad guy shows up and he captures you. What? Well, I attack him. Oh, he does nothing. You're, you're powerless. You're helpless. Now, I know that other games have done this and done this better, but it boils back down to that idea of feeling unpolished. 
Polish and presentation matter a lot to me when it comes to game design, and I feel this game lacked that in almost every respect. In fact, probably one of the only ways in which this game felt decent was its voice acting, which brings me to another point. Am I the only person, and I'm really curious about your guys' thoughts, I, I don't anticipate I'll get a lot of comments for a, a rumination on Fable, but how many of you guys who are actually watching this preferred the original Jack's voice? Because I did. Like, it was this sort of kind of creepy sort of presentation of someone who really just doesn't quite fit. Instead, they turned it into the generic bad guy voice number 387. And I, I really prefer the original voice. I know it's not actually that different, but I remember the first time going through and getting into it, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's the villain? And I had to ask a friend, because the first time I was ever really introduced to Jack properly was in the Lost, you know, was in the PC version, years later, after they changed the voice. So a friend of mine was like, oh, dude, you never heard the original version? And he pulled up his copy of the game and let me borrow it and play it a bit on a save that was towards the end, right about when uh happened with, uh what's her name? Uh, I wrote her down. I swear, Scarlet Robe. And I was like, that's a lot better of a voice. What the hell? Anyways. Let's talk about this game. Now, I'm the kind of person who's in favor of experimenting when it comes to game design. I like the idea of trying new things, even if those things are probably going to fail. And I mean that sincerely. I like the idea of saying, all right, screw it. Let's just try something. Let's just go in a new direction. I was actually talking about that with regards to Warframe uh, relatively recently. And I've talked about that many times when it comes to Nintendo. This game felt like a screw it, let's try stuff game. That didn't quite succeed. As you level, you get older. Okay, I like that. That's kind of a neat idea. It leads to some weird dissonance when you can grind early on and in the first few days or weeks of lore time, you are suddenly an old man and you can get older than the other NPCs around you who do not age. Um, marrying, you can go g get with an NPC and, and fall in love with them. Now, I could be wrong about this, but near as I can tell, there were only two choices for marriage. Any random NPC in the game or the Lady Grey. And that's it. <laughs> those are your options and now there's this whole little side thing you have to do to marry Lady Grey, I actually did that last time just to see what was going on back when I played this again years ago um, I didn't marry anyone this time around because I know there's no point in it and I was like, All right, hey Flex I am awesome, come join me I'm wearing the tattoo you like you know, it felt like the beginning of an actual mechanic it didn't actually feel like a mechanic it's like, alright, I, you we're married. And then it has no impact or effect on anything, really. You get a dowry. That's kind of nice, I guess. Um, emotes. You can wander around and actually do emoting as you're wandering around to kind of add a little bit of flavor to your character. Some of those emotes are very childish. <laughs> Whether that's a good or a bad thing, that's up to you. But it was a nice thing, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter for the most part. Um... Choices in quest design. Uh, this is mostly a thing in the side quests, I've noticed. The main quests don't usually allow this nearly as much as the side quests, but... Alright, do I want to... Save this kitten and give it wonderful little scritches, or burn down an orphanage? And again, I like choices in quest design. I love... That's my favorite feature about Oblivion, actually. Elder Scrolls Oblivion is the fact that almost every major quest in the game has multiple ways you can go through it and multiple ways you can conclude it. 
the best one being the the murder mystery thing in uh, uh, Skingrad, for example. But here it felt like the beginnings of that idea, but not really following through on that idea. You can do this, or you can do this. But the gulf between these two choices is hysterical. It actually gets to the point, and this is just my personal impression, that this is more of a parody of game choices rather than actual game choices. I almost wonder if that was deliberate. You know, we, we all joke, ah, burn down the orphanage. You can be so cartoonishly, hilariously evil. It's funny. But then you can also be so wonderfully, amazingly, heroically stoic that it's funny. Right? And then there's the shopkeeper thing. This was a great idea that I don't think was executed well at all. So shopkeepers have their own uh, preferred storage amount, stock amount or whatever, right? And they will pay, uh, you know, if they're short on something, they'll pay more for it. But if they're down on, you know, if they have a, an excess of it, they will pay less for it. And the same goes for selling it back to you. That's a cool idea. And it adds a little bit of, of flavor and, and depth to the world. It's amazingly broken. I mean, even playing back on the Xbox version, the very first time I played this, I, I figured out within like a few minutes the idea of, oh, I'm just going to buy out everything you got. And then you're going to be like, oh, my God, I have nothing left. I'll, I'll, I'll spend anything for those 33 apples you have. Okay, here you go. Pluck-honk. And then I'll buy them back. Right? I mean, and I'm going to go buy some master weapons. There we go. I'm good to go for basically the entire game. Shonk, shonk. My point is, all of these are good ideas. And I do think there's potential with them. But I feel like they didn't take the time, or perhaps, again, more accurately, if I am correct in my theory, they didn't have the time or the budget or whatever in order to sit down and really polish them and make them work. It goes back to a concept I've talked about many times when it comes to game design. It's not enough to have a good game mechanic. You have to implement that game mechanic well within the game. Just having New Game Plus isn't enough. Just having keep mechanics isn't enough. Just having durability repair concept isn't enough. Just having crafting isn't enough. You need to do something with it to gel it appropriately into and through your game so that it works and is part of the game itself. Anyways, so now we talk about the story. How long have I been talking? Hang on, I'm going to pull this up. I've been talking for 22 minutes about the gameplay. I think this might be the longest time I've ever talked about just the gameplay. And thank God for that, because i got so little to say about the story of this game. It is, in many ways, a fable. You know, once upon a time, right, there was a basic story. The end. The only real depth to the story is in the setting. Let's look at the six points of story really quick. So, plot... Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, the plot is Jack wants to uh, kill a part of your family in order to get the sword and destroy the world. That's the plot. There really is not a lot else there. You can add something about Maze if you really want to. It barely matters. So, plot. Um, characterization. For the most part, most of the characters really were one-note characters. I, I jotted some notes down. Uh, Whisper. Like, I liked Whisper more than I feel like I should have, because she really doesn't have a lot of character, and she's barely present in the game. She's, like, there at the beginning, and she's there at the arena, and that's really it. <laughs> There's not a lot of other presence for her. But I did find myself enjoying her as a character, probably because they did a decent job of portraying someone who is competitive, someone who is your rival without being a jackass, right? Um, 
I suppose I'm one of those people who has gotten tired of the idea of the rival who is a bully or a jerk or otherwise a horrible person in addition to being your rival. So I think she was a good take on that. There's even this great bit uh, in the arena where, you know, Jack shows up and, I demand... <clears throat> Sorry. I will give you the joy of you. They will fight each other and they will kill each other. The one that lives will have eternal glory and the one who dies will have the privilege of dying in front of everyone else, right? And then Whisper says, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I refuse. I won't kill you. And I'll give him a good show. That's what we're here to do. But I'm not going that far. And I'm, I found myself going, yeah, that's awesome. Like, even if I was playing an evil playthrough, I don't think I could bring myself to kill her just because she's awesome about that. But anyways. Um, and that's the most I have to say about any character in this game, with one exception, by the way, what I just said about Whisper. So there's Whisper. There's Thunder. What's Thunder's characterization? <laughs> I'm a big, strong hero. Okay. Um, what about Maze? Surely I have something to say about Maze? No. First of all, I feel like the actor and the visual presentation of Maze was a little bit too obvious that he was not a good person from the get-go. Probably the most egregious example of this is something that Whisper shares, too, and this might just be a writing issue, but it's like, hey, so yeah, your whole family just died, you think. Uh, obviously, Teresa is still alive, and... Uh, What's her freaking name again? I can't remember. Your mother, Scarlet Robe. I keep wanting to say Briar Thorn, because I get those two confused for some reason. Um, but, you know, hey, they're all dead, and yeah, you just threw up because of stress. That's, come on, dude, God, we got to go get to training. Jesus. <laughs> you know. But Maze is someone who I called being the bad guy from a mile away. I should say one of the bad guys. And even his excuse for being a bad guy is basically one note. Oh, well, Jack spared my life. So that he could then, you know, use me, and now I am his servant, and if I don't, he will kill me horribly. Okay. He seems awfully enthusiastic about being a bad guy for the fact that he supposedly has been coerced into this. Is that just me? <laughs> uh, there's Scythe, who we basically don't really see in this game, but Scythe, who is, of course, William the Black. I'm I'm not actually sure if that's true, and even as of Fable the Journey, I don't believe that's been 100% confirmed, so I have no idea if he's William the Black. That is my personal theory, for anybody curious. Um, there's Briar Rose. She she's exists. She's actually a part of the setting building, which I'm not up to. Uh, there's Scarlet Robe. She exists. And there's Teresa, who's barely in this game. And then there's the there's Jack. Now, Jack is interesting. He's the only other character I have anything to say about. The Jack of Blades, so much of his story is absent in this game, which I find to be to its detriment. He's a bad guy. But I like I like the idea of Jack, and that may sound familiar if you paid attention during the gameplay section. So he was one of the court, right? And the court were demons from the void. Um, we don't know exactly what the Void is. That's never been described uh, in full totality. We know that the Void is where bad stuff comes from. So let's just call it hell and move on. So these three horrible people came and were like, we will do horrible, torturous things to the world until you will bow before us. We don't know why they do that. We have no motivations for these people. But they do that. And then William the Black rose up, who was the hero, who said, yes, I will be the hero no motive or reasoning there. Um, and he discovers the power of will. 
I'll talk about that more in a moment, um, and decides to fight back against the court and you know, defeats them all, and Jack is the only one who survives because Jack decided to put his power into the mask. Now, this is where we get to the part where Jack's a little more interesting as a character because Jack comes across as someone who is charismatic, and I think a lot of this comes down to the actor, despite the fact that he has no real characterization. Jack's a weird one because he has no characterization. His characterization is that he's evil. He is interested in conquering and burning the world. Why? Moo. That's never explained or expounded upon. It's because he's a bad guy. Duh. But he's willing to do so in weird and kind of roundabout ways. And again, he goes out of his way to interact with the player more than basically anyone else of any significance. He comes the closest to having real characterization of any character in this game. No, no character arc. Nobody has a character arc in this game. But he comes the closest. I also uh, like the idea of him being the smart one, basically, amongst the court. The idea that he was the one who had enough of a thought to, okay, I'm about to die, but I could carry on in a fashion if I put myself into this mask. And of course, as we find out based on the events of Lost Chapters and as Fable 2 makes clear, we do eventually, we do canonically no really destroy Jack. He is gone. And yet Jack in many ways is the precursor to the larger scope of what's going to be a problem in the Fable series going forward. And that brings me to my next point, because I'm kind of done talking about Jack, unfortunately. My next point is that Fable 1 seems to have nothing to do with Fable 2 or 3. I'm curious if anybody else has that same feeling. Now, obviously, this is not a rumination on the Fable series, so I'm not going to really go into that. But it really struck me because I was... I've actually played through Fable 2 and part of... Or, sorry, sorry, I've paid, played through Fable 3 and part of Fable 2. Let's say that correctly. God... And those two games feel very directly connected, and there's some strong thematic and story points connecting the two, and you could feel this sort of building storyline of the corruption, right? The, 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 the wounds of the void that fell onto William the Black, and you kind of get that idea of the combination of the hero and the combination of the, the demons, you know, the void, creating the actual villain of the entire series. That's cool. I like that. But this game has almost nothing to do with that. Even Teresa, the one character who's like through the whole thing, really is basically a non-character in this game. It's like, oh, there's Twinblade, or what the hell his name is. Stab, stab, stab. Or I could spare him, and then he tries to kill me anyways because he's a jackass. But, you know, and the, hey, Teresa, you're alive. Oh, you were saved. Wonderful. And that's kind of it. <laughs> you know? It felt like she was barely even a character here. And I find myself wondering if this is because they hadn't done it yet. Like if they hadn't decided on a greater scope of the story until they sat down to do Fable 2 and then decided on where things were going that forward. Now this is not a complaint. It's not even a criticism. It's just speculation. I don't know that much about the making of 2 or 3. I do know that the Fable development team just kind of went after 3. Uh, not in terms of quality, in terms of being shut down. I mean, good lord. Anyways, but this is also the other thing I want to talk about. Several of the characters seem to serve more of a purpose of setting building. So, getting back to my point. Plot? Nope. Characterization? Barely. Character arcs? 
Nope. Themes. There is kind of a theme in Fable, but it's just the theme about freedom of will. You know, the, the, the importance of choice and how choice is a big deal in this setting. Which brings me to the one and only thing that they have a strong emphasis on. By the way, the sixth point is fun. So, the, 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 the one and only thing that Fable One did, one did reasonably well was setting building. The idea of, so, the names thing, right? Um, the fact that Jack is referred to as a hero is all I really need to say about that. I love the idea of, okay, there was these great heroes and they were wonderful, awesome people once upon a time and we have built them into our mythos and built them into our culture. Yeah, heroes are awesome. Let's make that a class. And so they make hero a job, like a title, like like fireman, you know? And so you can be a hero and you can be someone who goes out and does hero things, which is anything. Because heroes aren't good or bad. They are mercs. Hero is the game's term for adventurer. And that's probably one of the few things I like about the... It's, that's, a, that's a bad way to phrase it. It's probably one of the few things I find to be nuanced about the story. Um, in most settings, they just call them adventurer, or they just call them mercenary, or whatever it is they want to call them. But here they are called heroes because this vocation grew naturally out of you know, the, the legends of the kings of old and the great people of old who called themselves heroes. So we all call ourselves heroes in honor of them, right? There's a degree of sense-making there and almost subversion, which I enjoy. Even Weaver goes out of his way to say a hero should be willing to choose whatever they want to. Again, choice being a big thing in this setting. So a hero can go... Uh, Briar Rose, I mentioned her earlier. First time we really interact with Briar Nose is at Not Whole Glade, I want to say. I wrote it down. Not whole glade, yes. Not whole glade. And she's putting down a peasant revolt because the, the local leaders are evil. <laughs> but she's just doing her job. The hero moves in to put down, you know, the, the, the uh, arguably just and righteous peasants because hero doesn't mean heroic. It means a vocation. I do like that. It's one of the nicer things about the setting. I also like the industry that's developed as a part of it. Uh, very few settings I've seen actually take the concept of an adventurer and really run with it from a setting-building perspective. Faerun has done this. Um, Breath of Fire arguably has done this. And I'm sure there's others. <laughs> I, I can't think of a lot of examples. That's my point. But here we have an entire industry that has developed around the concept of heroes, training them, equipping them, accommodating them, paying them, and so many groups and peoples and organizations who will willingly go out of their way to mark it up with heroes rather than do things themselves. It gets to the point where I always had the impression, in Fable 1 especially, that most of the people got used to not doing certain types of actions themselves. That basically became, for lack of a better way to put this, more helpless because they are accustomed to, well, i got to deal with such and such, toss up some money and hire a hero. And thus we have less, I don't want to say less independence, but it's more like more reliance upon it. The same way you could rely on someone to do your IT work, for example. You don't bother to develop those skills because you don't need to. You can hire someone to do it. Or you happen to have a family member who's good at it. But you get my point. I also like the, the will thing. The whole, I mentioned the freedom of choice and freedom of will thing. So will is magic. It's what they use for magery in this setting. Although there's 
I've always gotten the subtle implication, and I don't believe this is confirmed in 2 or 3 or The Journey, but I always got the implication that magic is... Will, excuse me. Will is different than just magery. That there are magical things and magical spells that are separate from will. If I was to define this using other terms, I would say will is psionics, whereas what other people do is magic. For those of you not aware of the difference, in most settings, psionics comes entirely from within. Your personal power being expent in order to do something supernatural. Whereas magic is tapping into an external source, either the, a certain program, like a component or whatever, or literally burning components to fuel the spell or tapping into ley lines or whatever, right? Um, and I like the idea that this will was being developed in direct contrast to the demonic power that was being introduced by the court. In other words, the way I perceive this, despite the fact that there's not really a lot of evidence there in the story, is that once upon a time, this world, Albion, or whatever you want to call it, was mundane, with no supernatural elements. Then the court showed up and introduced the fantastical to the world in the form of their demonic external magic. That led to the creation and development of other things like the Balverines and these imps and all the other little crap, right? In contrast to this, the, the system balanced itself out by developing will. So the internal power that some people can call upon in order to try and push back at this. Again, emphasizing the fantastical element that. That's just my own take on it, and I don't know if that's even close to true or not. But the final thing I want to comment on is related to that. So one of the things I noticed is that a lot of people go by what are effectively monikers. Now when I first played this, excuse me, rewind, when I second played this, my first full playthrough on the PC, that bothered me. I was like, okay, my mom's name can't be Scarlet Robe, right? What's her name? Well, we never find out. Uh, I was actually paying attention this time around. That's her name, Scarlet Robe. And the more I thought about it, the more that actually made sense. That's actually been a thing in real life. People are born such and such and then go by such and such. Look at uh, Japan. A lot of Japanese history, especially in the uh, Sengoku Jedi period, for a good example of people who just decide to shift their names and that's cool. I'm with that. It's a, it's a moniker thing. That's why it's not quite a title. It's something you go by. And I got the impression that with the whole heroes thing, the choice of will thing, and the very expression of will, that people take on a moniker and that that becomes their name, basically. That is, you know, that Maze it was not literally born with that name. That Whisper was not literally born with that name. That Thunder was not literally born with Scythe. And so forth and so on. That that is just what they are called. That becomes their new identity. That also leaves the idea that your identity can change. Which is funny, because if you've played this game, you know that you can change your own moniker over the course of the game. I didn't change mine. I was the chicken chaser the whole way through. Because I like that idea. Because I like the concept of being the great hero, chicken chaser. Because if, if I am right about this theory, that became my name. That's the name that they wrote down in the history books, just like Scarlet Robe. So they would say, and thus the great hero, chicken chaser, decided to go and fight Jack and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I like that idea. I, I like the concept of your actions defining your identity in a literal sense of the word. Unfortunately, that really is all I got. I do hope you've enjoyed. I hope you're not disappointed by my terrible rumination. And I hope to see you guys next time.
Oh god, Wolverines! 